Open up our Bibles to Exodus 20. If you're using the Bibles in the seats, that should be on page 54, right near the beginning. So uh, as we've been remembering, we've spent most of the fall uh, so far looking at work, the topic of work, and remembering that our work matters to God, and that through our work, we can be countercultural witnesses, we can shape and transform culture, we can be good neighbors and good citizens who work for the goodness and for the flourishing of society. Through our work, um, we can also join in what God is already doing in the world. And um, through our work, finally, we can fulfill the cultural mandate, uh, which we see right in Genesis, where God calls all human beings to seek to understand and then to make good use of God's creation. And so in many ways and, and for many reasons, our work matters to God. Our, our work matters if we're a student. It, it matters if our work is in the home as a parent or a spouse. It matters if we work outside the home. But as we began to look at last Sunday, Greg Howe reminded us that our lives are more than our work, that we are more than our work. And just as important as it is to work, it is also just that important that we rest. And so we looked at, at God's command in, in Exodus 20 uh, last week and again this week in the Ten Commandments that God's people are to take a day of Sabbath rest. You know, before I came to CBC nine years ago now, uh, I worked briefly as a contractor um, doing housing renovations, additions, repairs, and I worked actually for a contractor uh, with this guy. And, and the guy I worked for was a really great mentor when it came to carpentry skills. And I remember one of the things he, he said one time, he said, near the end of the day, we have to work extra carefully because accidents and mistakes often happen when we're tired, maybe we're hungry. And so we concentrate less well and we get frustrated more easily. Uh, you, you could picture it like this. I've, I've done this. I'm, I'm swinging a hammer. I'm, I'm, I'm knocking in a nail with a nice, smooth rhythm because um, there's a rhythm to, to hitting a nail. But, but maybe the nail isn't going in very well, and I'm tired, and I get frustrated, and I start hitting it harder. Come on, nail, go in. And, and then what happens? The nail bends, right? Ah! And, and I'm tired, and I'm rushing, and, and I, I just want to be done. And, and when the nail bends, I get even more frustrated. So what do I do? I start wailing on the thing, right? And um, I, I've lost all rhythm. I've lost all focus. I, I'm just flailing, and it seldom ends well by that point. And that's just a little microcosm of life, right? Because I've done that in my life. Haven't you? <laughs> where we've, we've lost rhythm, we've, we've gotten frustrated, and we've gotten tired, and so we just start flailing around. We're trying to get stuff done. We're trying to get problems solved, but we've lost our rhythm. We're exhausted, and that's why we need Sabbath. That's why we need rhythm in our life, and it's why God created us for rhythm. If you go back to the very beginning, the story of of creation in Genesis 1. We've, we've looked at this text in detail before. It's been a few years now. But you might remember how full of rhythm the words of the creation story are. And God said, 
let there be. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. There was morning and there was evening. All these phrases are repeated over and over in the story, in the text, to create a sense of rhythm. And then there's this part. God put in the heavens great lights, sun, moon, and stars. Why? To mark seasons and days and years, more rhythms. God created a, a, a creation full of rhythm. Summer, fall, winter, spring, day, evening, night, morning. Six days to work to create with God, and then a seventh day when God rested from all God's work, and God told us to rest as well. The creation is full of rhythm. And not just in Genesis we see this, but look around you and within you, your heartbeat, your waking and your sleeping, your own circadian rhythms, your hungering, then eating, then hungering again. You're being born, growing up, perhaps bearing children of your own who then also grow up and perhaps bear children of their own. Generational rhythms. Also, the life cycles of the plants and the animals around you as you study in biology class, and then if you dig further into biology, you realize that beneath the surface of every organism, with its systems and its organs and its metabolisms and every ecosystem, all are just full of rhythms. God created a universe pulsing with rhythm. And there's something restful and reassuring about rhythms. We know what to expect. We enjoy the change, the variety. Think of that with the fall season now and the leaves. But, but change the rhythms, upset the rhythms, and everything gets off kilter. Think of jet lag when you travel across time zones and your daily rhythms of, of sleeping and waking get mixed up. Or think of a crew team racing on a lake and they have a coxswain to keep them on rhythm. And if they get off rhythm, they lose speed. They, everything becomes harder for them. Or think of a jazz band. What happens when the drummer loses the beat? Or a worship band. What happens when the guitarist starts strumming off rhythm from everybody else? Or, or someone starts clapping out of rhythm. It becomes a frustrating jumble, right? We're made for rhythm. The creation is made for rhythm. And so God says in our text this morning, keep the rhythm, the rhythm of creation. Seven days, work on six, rest on the seventh. Work on six, rest on the seventh. Work on six, rest on the seventh. Get the rhythm, keep the rhythm. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall do your labor, and all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but he rested on the seventh day. So we have this rhythm of work and rest and work and rest and work and rest. <laughs> the, the, this rhythm keeps us from... from getting tired and getting weary and getting frustrated like, like I did at the end of that long day when I just wound up out of rhythm just wailing on that nail. Now, here's something really interesting um, 
that interpreters of the Old Testament have picked up on. In Genesis 1, which comes first, evening or morning? Evening, right? Six times at the end of each day of creation we read, and there was evening and there was morning, the first day, the second day, etc. There was evening and there was morning. That's why the Jewish day begins at sundown, at, 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 with evening. Because in the Old Testament, evening comes before morning. Also notice in Genesis 1, which day are man and woman created on? They're created on day 6, right? On day 6, God creates the, the living creatures, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, wild animals, each according to their kinds. And, and God creates them, then it reads, God saw that they were good. And then last of all, on day 6, God made humankind, male and female, and God blessed them and told them to fill the earth and subdue it, and God gave them the plants for food, and God saw it all, and it was very good. And so that's the end of day 6. Creating humankind is the last thing God does on day 6. And then what comes next? Evening. And what does evening bring? The beginning of a new day. Which day? Day seven, Sabbath. And so interpreters have pointed out that the first thing humankind does after being created on day six is enjoy the Sabbath. <laughs> Even though it's day seven at the end of the week, from a calendar perspective, for humanity, when they were created on day six, the first thing we experienced was the beginning of Sabbath. We began our week with Sabbath. We began our week with rest. Just like we begin each day with evening, we begin each day with rest. Incidentally, that's also why the book of Psalms begins with evening prayers. If you look closely at the book of Psalms, how it's put together, it's a collection of prayers, right? Songs to God. And, and the first two Psalms, though, are not really prayers. They're introductions to the book of Psalms to set the, the context. And then Psalm 3 is where the prayers begin. And... What are the first two prayers? Psalms 3 and 4. They're both evening prayers. And then Psalm 5 is a morning prayer. And so the Psalms right at the beginning are getting us into the rhythm. Evening, morning, rest, work. This is how the Hebrew mind thinks, steeped in the Old Testament. Life begins with rest. Each day begins with rest. Each week begins with rest in a sense, the Sabbath. Then... We work out of our rest. We work from our rest. Contrast that with what we often do today, which is work, 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 and then collapse in exhaustion. You could call this the, the exertion-exhaustion approach to life. Exertion, exhaustion. Often we go so hard, we, by the time we rest, we're, we're so wasted, we're so frazzled, we can't even rest well. We, we find it's really hard to slow down, right? We're addicted to the adrenaline, and, and even if we try to stop, we just keep twitching, right? On the inside, anyway. Have you ever done that? You've gone on vacation, and, and it's a week-long vacation, and the first few days are just like a blur. The, the vacation's almost over. It's like Thursday or Friday before you start Finally, to feel relaxed. And, and what do you say? You say, oh, I wish we had another week, right? <laughs> That's a signal to us, number one, that we really needed that vacation, and it's good that we got away. 
But also number two, that maybe we're out of rhythm. We're, we're not resting well enough along the way and one week of vacation isn't going to be enough to make up for all that, to rejuvenate us. To make up for the fact that for months we've been living out of rhythm. And so that's why right in the Ten Commandments, God gives us this command. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. As Greg said last week, this isn't purely pragmatic good advice, although it is that. The, the point is, or the point is not that, that we just rest well so we can be more productive in our work. This isn't just about productivity. No, this is about God. Sabbath is about God. Sabbath is about God giving us a gift. Because Sabbath is a gift. You see, the Israelites who are receiving the Ten Commandments from God, they've just come out of generations of slavery in Egypt. And, and slaves don't get to control their own schedules. They, they have to work when their slave masters command them to work, and there's a very good chance that in slavery, under Egyptian oppression, the Israelites had to work seven days a week. No break, no rest for the weary, no vacation times, just unending oppressive work. In fact, when Moses asked Pharaoh to let the Israelites go into the desert to have a holiday, a festival to God, what does Pharaoh say? No vacations, keep working, right? Keep working. But now God has rescued his people from Egypt. They're out Mount Sinai. And, and here's how the Ten Commandments begin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. God is now their king, not Pharaoh. God is their king. And, and to these exhausted slaves, God gives a gift. God gives them a day off, a rest. God institutes weekends. Aren't weekends one of the greatest gifts ever? <laughs> TGIF, right? Sabbath is a gift. God says, stop your work. Work is good. But I can't let you forget that life is more than work. You are more than your work. Did you hear that? You might be an engineer or an educator or maybe you're in sales or, or you're a full-time parent perhaps. You are more than your work. Come enjoy Sabbath and discover that, God says. Rest and be yourself. Be the person I created you to be. Yes, I created you to work, but I created you for more than that. I also created you for a relationship with me, with God, and with your family, with your friends. So rest, renew, refresh, rejuvenate, relate. Get your head back on straight. I know it's been a long week. Remember who runs the world. Remember that it doesn't all depend on you. Can you trust me for one day, God is asking? For 24 hours, can you take your hands off the wheel and trust me with running the universe? Trust me with your needs. Trust me with your problems. Trust me with your financial situation. Will you just stop? for 24 hours and let me be God. 
That's what Sabbath is about. It's about God. About God being God and you not. Me not. It's a step of faith. It's about trusting God. It's, it's about resetting, about regaining our perspective. It's about ceasing our striving and receiving a gift, which is rest. It's about disentangling ourselves from the lie that we're all important and that, that we've got to hold it all together and that it all depends on us and, and that we matter so much. Sabbath's about protesting all of that and saying, no, I can just stop. I can just pull away. God can handle it all for the next 24 hours. Thank you very much. God's inviting me to go off duty. He's inviting me to take a break and to just be, to be with myself, to be with God, to be with my family, to be with my friends. And then refocused and refreshed and reset, I can go back and work another week. So how do we do this? How do we live it out practically? Well, first of all, we've got to realize that even though the seventh day Sabbath is the most famous Sabbath in the Bible, it's not the only Sabbath. God gave the Israelites other festivals and holidays, which were also called Sabbaths, and which also involved stopping work. There were feasts like Passover and tabernacles and trumpets, whole week-long holidays of rest and celebration. And then, of course, there was the daily rest. Now, God didn't command the Israelites to stop working at sundown and to uh, rest until morning, maybe because they didn't have a choice. It, it was like going to camp, uh, you know, those kids' camps, um, where they have a lights-out curfew, and at 10 or 11 o'clock, they just turn off all the lights. That's what God did to humankind, right? Nighttime, boom, no more daylight, lights-out, curfew. Sure, you could sit around the fire or by a torch or a candle. You could stay up late. You could do some knitting. You could mend a harness or something. And God didn't tell us not to do that, but, but you couldn't plow your fields, you couldn't do very much of your regular work. Societies as a whole just had to shut down by sundown. They didn't have a, a choice. There were no street lights. Businesses closed. Everyone got home before dark. And that's just how life was all through most of human history until the invention of the light bulb. You realize how much the light bulb changed about our life at night, about our whole society. So now we have to be intentional. I'm not saying life bulbs are evil, but we have to be intentional <laughs> about a daily rhythm because we're no longer constrained by God's enforced curfew. We found a way around that. So, so the first practical application is um, to think about your rhythms in terms of daily, weekly, seasonally, and yearly. All these rhythms we find in the Bible, we find in God's creation. Uh, which of those rhythms are you doing better at and which are you not doing so good at? Can you put on all four lenses and think about all four of those rhythms? Maybe you're good at, at weekly rhythms of, of work and rest, but not seasonal rhythms. Maybe you're good at a, a day off every weekend, but, but uh, you never get a vacation or a retreat. 
Or, or maybe you take long vacations in the summer, but you work 24-7 the rest of the year. You're not good at your weekly or daily rhythms. Which rhythms are you doing okay with and which rhythms need work in your life, in your family's life? That's the first application point to consider, to look at all the rhythms and ask which rhythms do you do well and which not so well. Second application, don't try to fix it all at once. Rhythms are not easy to change, just like habits are not easy to change. Maybe you've made life choices, maybe you've made commitments which prevent shifting some of these rhythms at least in the short run. So what's the low-hanging fruit for you? What's one rhythm that you need to adjust that you can adjust? Maybe it's to get to bed an hour earlier. Maybe it's to come home from work half an hour earlier when you don't absolutely have to stay as late as you do. Maybe it's to work half an hour of quiet time into your daily schedule, or if you can't do it every day, at least a few times a week. Maybe it's to turn off your phone at 8 p.m. and not check it again till morning. Imagine that. Or maybe it's that you really need a vacation in the next few months. What's one rhythm you can adjust that's realistic, that's doable, which will have the biggest immediate impact on your life or your family's life? Now, I realize this is extra complicated for families. Um, Ann and I are blessed in that we both love nothing more for vacation than to go to the beach. And uh, we can agree that that's a great vacation. We can't always afford it, but we're all in when, when we can make that happen. But sometimes one spouse really yearns for an exciting, fast-paced vacation, right? They, they want to travel somewhere new. They want to go and see every museum and every attraction for miles around. But the other spouse, meanwhile, is like, are you crazy? That's exhausting. <laughs> I'm going to need a vacation from the vacation. I just want to sit on the porch swing and read a good book for a week. Couldn't we do that? And then if you have kids, they have to be taken care of or entertained or whatever, right? They're not going to just sit there quietly while you sit on the porch swing. Um, so there's going to be give and take here. There, there's, there's, there's going to be give and take. And it's tempting to, to push and to pull and to advocate for what you need, for what you want, and to de devalue what the other person needs. That doesn't really matter. Um, but instead, we've got to look for a win-win situation in families. To, to find something creative that gives everyone some of what they need. First of all, mom can't be expected to cook every meal if she's on vacation. She needs a Sabbath too. Um, then maybe I watch the kids while you go have a spa day for the morning. And, and then you take the kids while I do something fun for me. Or maybe we all spend the morning together and, and then you adventure seekers in the family, you go off and you have fun while the rest of us take an afternoon nap. Somehow families have to work this out. So that's the second application. What's the low-hanging fruit? What's the one thing that needs to be adjusted in your rhythm that's doable? Then third application, now that you've done the easy thing to add better rhythm to your life, what's the stretch goal? The, the thing that you need to change in your schedule to, to add Sabbath, to add rhythm, that maybe you can't do right now, but you've got to begin working toward it. Maybe it's, it's finding a different job with a saner, less demanding schedule or a shorter commute. Maybe it's, um, it's clearing a weekly Sabbath day so your family can have a day of rest together. Here's the thing with these bigger uh, adjustments. 
what they're really going to test is whether you actually trust God. Do you really trust God that six days is enough to get done what you need to do? Do you really trust God that God will take care of your financial needs if you honor God? You know, if, if, you, if you have to be at work all the time, late nights, few vacations, answering work email from bed, or bed and while you're brushing your teeth, you're back in slavery in Egypt. The oppressive system is, is enslaving you again. And you need God to deliver you. Or, or like the Israelites, would you rather go back to Egypt than follow God into the uncertainties of the promised land? Because following God takes faith. Trusting God for manna in the wilderness, daily bread. Looking for God's guidance day by day. Do you trust God? Or does slavery in Egypt seem safer and more predictable? Here's the truth given us in the Ten Commandments. Dallas Willard puts it well. God never gives anyone too much to do. We do that to ourselves or allow others to do it to us. God never gives anyone too much to do. We do that to ourselves or allow others to do it to us. Let me close with this story. A couple weeks ago, I took our kids to visit my mom in Pennsylvania. She's in her 70s now, and she lives on 20 acres. So there's a lot of work to do for her, and um, some of it she's just not able to do anymore by herself. And so when we go, we try to help her out with some things. And one task this year was to pick her apple tree. She has, um, she has an apple tree. It was just full of apples, but it had rained a lot making the, the ground soft, and under the weight of all the apples, the tree actually fell over. It, it didn't die, but the, the thing fell right over on its side. And, and so after we picked the apples, we, we hooked a chain up to a vehicle and to the tree, and we pulled the tree back upright, and I built a brace to help the tree stand up. And um, here's the thing about that tree. The tree had produced a lot of fruit, but it didn't have a lot of root. And what happens when you produce a lot of fruit, but you neglect the root? Eventually, you come crashing down under the weight of it all, right? And so God gives us the gift of Sabbath. God commands us to stop, to stop producing, to stop working, even though that's part of what we're created for, God commands us to stop and to pay attention to our root. To sink our roots deeper into God, deeper into love, deeper into relationships, deeper into enjoying God's creation rather than working on it, deeper into trusting God and letting God be God. That's the rhythm. Sabbath rest rooting down into God and into rest, and then work, seeking to produce fruit. And that, in the long run, is the only way our work is going to remain fruitful. So here's, here's my challenge to us this morning. In your bulletin, there's a slip of paper. Looks like this. Right? The rhythm. Um got a pendulum on it. 
So what for you is the low-hanging fruit? Is there one simple doable adjustment that you can make now to your rhythms um, to have a better rhythm of rest and work? Maybe you need time to think about it. Maybe you already know what it is. But I just want to give you a couple minutes now to think about it. Uh, maybe it's a daily rhythm. Maybe it's a weekly rhythm, a rhythm for this fall or for this year. Um, let me give you a minute, and maybe you want to jot down what that is on your paper. And the second thing I'd encourage you to jot down is, is there someone you could tell this to? Um, and you can invite them to ask you in a week or two if you're doing it, if you followed through. Is there someone you, you trust who has your best interests at heart who you could say, hey, I need to work on this. Would you ask me in a week or two how it's going? Maybe you want to jot that down as well. Now, maybe that was easy and quick for you, or maybe you need more time. And if you do, I encourage you to take that home and before the end of the day, work on it. Maybe you need to talk to your family about it. Um, also, give some thought to maybe what your bigger stretch goal needs to be. And that's something you might want to tell that person as well. You know, I'm not ready to commit to this. I, I can't do it yet, but I need to work, work toward this. And maybe in the next six months or year, I need to be moving in this direction with my rhythm. Um, and invite them to pray for you um, and to ask you for an update about it further down the line. Let's pray. God, thank you for creating this world, for filling it with rhythms which are for our good, You've created us to work, to contribute, to create, to learn, to do, to participate, to accomplish. And yet you also created us to be, to be in wonder, to be in awe, to relate, to rest, to enjoy. And... God, we can see why you compare Sabbath to the fact that we're saved by grace and not by our works. Because it takes faith to put things in your hands and not try to do them ourselves. I pray that through your word you would grow that faith in our hearts. That we could be a people who live in rhythm, who are fruitful and who also take time to put down deep roots, to rest, to refresh, to enjoy your gifts. Grow us as a community. We live in a context where this is so hard to do. Give us 
commitment and conviction to pursue it. Amen.